This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late-night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. All right. Hi there. Good evening and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez. Valdez with an S, by the way, your liberty-loving Latino amigo. And uh, I almost didn't make it to the studio on time because I was stashing my classified documents in my garage right next to my Corvette. Wait, that's not me. That's what Joe Biden does. And uh, fascinating that that is what uh, we are finding out today and the appointment of a special counsel uh, we're going to get to a bunch of stuff this evening, but I want to jump into this Joe Biden stuff before we bring in any of our guests, because this to me is is interesting. Uh, earlier today, it was reported that classified documents found in Biden's Delaware garage were found uh, next to his Corvette, <laughs> which I just think it just adds to the to the hashtag here. Right? Is it hashtag garage gate or hashtag Corvette gate? I don't know. But we do have some audio that I want to walk you through because Attorney General Merrick Garland was uh, taking the podium today, took the podium today, uh, to make a couple of announcements, uh, excuse me, announcements, and I want you to hear this first clip. Check it out. I'm here today to announce the appointment of Robert Herr as a special counsel pursuant to Department of Justice regulations governing such matters. In keeping with those regulations, I have today notified the designated members of each House of Congress of the appointment. I'm joined today by John Lausch, the U.S. Attorney for the Northern District of Illinois, who conducted the initial investigation into the matter that I will describe today. On the evening of November 4th, 2022, the National Archives Office of Inspector General contacted a prosecutor at the Department of Justice. It informed him that the White House had notified the archives that documents bearing classification markings were identified at the office of the Penn Biden Center for Diplomacy and Global Engagement located in Washington, D.C. That office was not authorized for storage of classified documents. The prosecutor was also advised that those documents had been secured in an archives facility. On November 9th, the FBI commenced an assessment consistent with standard protocols to understand whether classified information had been mishandled in violation of federal law. On November 14th, pursuant to Section 600.2B of the Special Counsel Regulations, I assigned U.S. Attorney Lausch to conduct an initial investigation to inform my decision whether to appoint a special counsel. So come on, Mr. Attorney General, all of this to say that he's appointing a special counsel. OK, um, now I still haven't heard anything about any um, SWAT teams going to Mar-a-Lago or any SWAT teams. Yesterday, I mentioned a SWAT team going to Biden Beach House in Delaware. I don't know if it was a SWAT team, but apparently they took my advice and they sent somebody and they've come back with this uh, box of uh, 
classified documents in the garage. So now he continues his press conference, and I, I try to give you the longer clip, not the the uh, the five second or ten second clip, because I want you to have the full context. This way, nobody ever. Uh, accuses me and says, hey, Rich, you're not playing the full thing. You're taking little sound bites and creating your own narrative. No, I'm not. I'm giving you the whole thing. Listen to this next clip. On December 20th, President Biden's personal counsel informed Mr. Lausch that additional documents bearing classification markings were identified in the garage of the president's private residence in Wilmington, Delaware. President Biden's counsel informed Mr. Lausch that those documents were among other records from the period of the president's service as vice president. The FBI went to the location and secured those documents. On January 5th, 2023, Mr. Lausch briefed me on the results of his initial investigation and advised me that further investigation by a special counsel was warranted. Based on Mr. Lausch's initial investigation, I concluded that under the special counsel regulations, it was in the public interest to appoint a special counsel. In the days since, while Mr. Lausch continued the investigation, the department identified Mr. Herr for appointment as special counsel. This morning, President Biden's personal counsel called Mr. Lausch and stated that an additional document bearing classification markings was identified at the president's personal residence in Wilmington, Delaware. When I first contacted Mr. Lausch about this matter, he said he could lead the initial investigation, but would be unable to accept any longer-term assignment because he would be leaving the department in early 2023 for the private sector. All right, so the White House Counsel's Office is who inspected the residents at uh, both Biden's Rehoboth Beach home and the Wilmington, Delaware home. So this is not a SWAT team. Uh, This seems to be like they're trying to make it look, the word is perfunctory, right? They're trying to make it look like they're on above board and on the level. To me, it seems like they're just putting the wheels in motion to make sure that they can get away with the cover-up that they're about to pull off, right? And make it look like we're being fair because we did this to Trump. Look, but we did it to Biden too. Anyway, stay tuned on that. We're gonna discuss a little bit more on that as we move forward. Plus, there's a big story today uh, coming out on the Twitter files, number 14, the Russia Gate lies. I want to get into that uh, a little bit later as well. But I want to talk about censorship, right? Because this Twitter file stuff is really about censorship. And when we talk about censorship, to me, it's um, it happens in all forms, in all places, and to all people. It seems to be prevalent amongst conservatives, especially those with a more traditional view. But it, it's happening nonetheless. Now, one of the people that was uh, um, making headlines uh, as of, I don't know, the last several months was the founder of Libs of TikTok, right? And nobody knew who this person was, and they were putting out excellent content. For example, uh, anytime there was a clip that showed how radical teachers or medical professionals were becoming, people were sending them to this person, and they were putting them up on on TikTok and on Twitter and Instagram. And I, we, I think we have a short clip of one of them that I want to just show you how radical some of this thinking is. Go right ahead. All right. It's not loaded yet. But anyway, it's one of those things where you you hear things that are just shocking and and you want to hear it and hear it and hear it again. Listen to this. Uh, I love these simple questions from trolls who haven't cracked a textbook since middle school. Science is very clear. Sex is not binary. It's actually based on a very complicated interplay between genetics, the endocrine system and the neuroendocrine system. And transgender people are real. Be mad about it. So there you have it. This is a medical professional saying, look, be mad about it. This isn't how it works, right? There's this very, very uh, um, 
interesting and and uh, a deep way of looking at male versus female, and it's it's uh, a spectrum. It's not binary, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And and we've heard this before. But they went after the founder of Libs of TikTok, trying to dox her, trying to say, you know, trying to find out who she was and let everybody know, removing any protection that she may have had from anonymity. And we've got such a story to share with you. And that's why I want to welcome the founder of Libs of TikTok, Haya Rasik. Welcome. Hi, so great to be here. My pleasure. And I hope, did I say your name right? Is it Rasik or Rasik? Rasik. All right. Well, I tried. <laughs> Rachik, forgive me. Uh, people mess up my last name all the time, so I, it's a big pet peeve of mine. I want to make it right. So, Haya, tell us a little bit about uh, how this whole thing started. I think uh, some people have heard your story. Many people haven't. And uh, I'm curious to know because I know that I think what you're doing is a tremendous public service, not just for producers in radio and, and talk radio hosts who want to share this stuff on, on the air, but also for everybody who's consuming this content online. How did you start? So basically started, um, I realized all of, I realized all of these videos, uh, were so crazy that I had to show it to more people. No one was really paying attention to TikTok then. This was about a year and a half ago. And I was like, Hey, let me just take these TikTok videos and post it to Twitter and other social media channels so more people can see it. And then it, the account just exploded. It got so big, really, really fast. And a lot of media outlets started picking up a lot of my content. A lot of uh, big names um, started picking up the content, and it just it just grew a lot. Um, and then a couple months ago, the left decided that they had to shut me down. So they sent the Washington the Washington Post to dox me, basically, because it had been anonymous the whole time. Um, and then that's when my name was shared with the world. Now, of course, they shared your name with the intention of intimidating you, hoping that somebody would find you, shut you down, per- potentially perhaps harm you. Uh, what was the reaction once uh, everything was out there? The reaction from the left or the right? Both. So the reaction from the right was incredible. I, sp- I spoke to a lot of people on the right and and everyone was saying that they've never seen anything like this i mean half the country literally came together to support me they put up a billboard in times square i got tons of messages it was just incredible i'm so grateful until today for all of that support and the last i mean i think their intention was to really shut me down i think that they thought that doxing me would intimidate me into silence but i mean obviously that was never an option I would never stop doing this. I think it's too important. Um, I, but I started getting a lot more death threats and hate messages, people showing up to my home. Um, but it, I'm not intimidated. I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm never going to stop. So the left can hate me all they want. They can call me every slur in the book, but it, it doesn't really affect me. Yeah. Now tell us about, because uh, I can only imagine, I've seen them go after so many different people and and sometimes they're they're somewhat successful, but for the most part, I think there's a lot of people that rally around the truth. And when you're putting the truth out, that's what you find. Let's talk about um, how how the response has been um, since you've been outed. And are, are you finding that you're getting more traffic, more followers, more uh, more traction on the content that you're putting out? So 
after I was doxxed, my following more than doubled within 24 hours. So that is one thing that that re- really good that came out of the doxing is that now more people see it. Uh, the account's influence is much stronger. And um, ever since Elon bought Twitter, I'm up another, uh, I think, around 400,000 followers. Um, so the, the whole goal of the account is to educate people and to raise awareness. So the more followers I have and the more the more people share the content, the more people see it, that's really the goal. So, so I'm, I'm grateful that, that it keeps growing and the exposure that, that the doxing brought it, I think helped in the long run. Of course. And let's talk about censorship. Cause I know before anybody knew who you were, uh, a lot of people started to um, take notice of the account and, and uh, I, I felt like every now and again I would go and it wasn't available one way or the other because you were being shut down or suspended. What was that like? So I, the word I use is persecution. I was literally persecuted by Twitter employees. Um, I think of one of the most suspended accounts. We're talking about temporary suspensions. So thankfully I never got uh, fully suspended. Um, but it seemed like it was every other week I was getting I was getting temporarily suspended and they used all different kinds of reasoning. So there was um, hateful conduct and targeted harassment. Um, Sometimes there was a specific tweet that they flagged, sometimes not. And personally, like I was always super careful. I never misgendered. I never broke the rules. I was really, really careful with my words and, and I just kept getting suspended and it was so frustrating and then the Twitter files come out, and there's a, a document there that Barry White posted, and it's the Twitter employees admitting that I never violated the rules, but they had to find a way to silence me. So yes. they, 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 they said they, the term they use is an indirect violation. It's actually very similar to how they ended up banning um, Trump. So right. they were looking for any reason, and they just made one up. What was that like, right? It's got to be kind of, uh, for me, it, it would, I would be really uh, not only upset, I'd be very angry if I found out that, you know, I knew that they hated me and they wanted to silence me, but that they kind of made things up to make it happen. What was it like when you were looking at the Twitter files? And is that how you found out you were looking at it yourself? Or did somebody call you and say, oh, my gosh, look at what we found? So I found out when the Twitter files were po- was posted um, that night. And it was definitely a very emotional night. And I, I wouldn't say I was angry because in the back of my head, I knew that I never violated the rules. So it was more by them um, suspending me. It was more like sort of like gaslighting. Like, I know I didn't do anything wrong. And they're like, well, yes, we did. And they can't even tell me what I did. Right. There was usually never even a tweet that they flagged. So how I felt that night was just entirely vindicated. I felt validated. It was such a good feeling, actually. Yeah, I could only imagine that it would be so. Again, folks, we're on with uh, Kaya Rachik, uh, the creator of Libs of TikTok. Now, how are you finding so much of the content? Is a lot of it, uh, you know, pe- people finding things and sending it to you, which I'm imagining is part of it, um, or and how much of it is, you know, you actually finding it? So it's about half and half at this point. Mm-hmm. I spend around 
I would say 15 to 20 hours a week on TikTok. Um, and then I also get hundreds of messages a day. So it's just a balance of going through TikTok, going through the messages and choosing what to post. Right. And I think what's interesting about this stuff is nobody else is doing it in this space. Uh, some people highlight it here and there, but I find you, you have the, um, the, the account to go to when you're looking for something that's either focused on, on the, um, the attack on, on traditional gender roles or um, sexuality as a whole or the, um, the indoctrination in the classroom or from medical professionals. And, and it, it seems like it's just exploding, in my opinion, out there. Like, I, I didn't know how serious this was. I have little, I, I say little kids, they're not little anymore, 17 and 21. And I just think it's a scary time to have actually little kids, like five, six, seven, eight years old, because there's so many, you know, dangers. Used to be you had to watch out for strangers and whatnot. Now you have to watch out for their kindergarten teacher, right? For their first grade teacher that are kind of putting these crazy ideas out there. And is, is the... I, w- I guess my question is, uh, do you find a lot of moms really kind of rising to the challenge, um, sending you stuff, you know, releasing video? I saw just this one video that you had uh, earlier today where the teacher's wearing Antifa, and it says that one of the parents sent you that. Do you get a lot of parents that are sending you uh, clips? I get tons of parents in my messages. Um, I think that through the exposure that Liz with TikTok has done with with showing what's going on in classrooms across the country, it really inspired a lot of parents to stand up. And we see, we saw this past election cycle, conservative just sweep tons of school boards. Um, so, and those were basically just really infuriated parents who were like, we're not going to stand for this anymore. So there have been um, groups popping up and a lot of, counties with mothers who are just looking out for any wokeness in the schools, um, and I get a lot of messages from parents begging for help to expose things, thanking me when I do expose things. So, you know, when, when I see people rising up and, and standing up for their children, I mean, that, that's, that's the greatest thing. I mean, it's just, it's so humbling that I was able to, to have a part in that. And, and I, you know, I, I wish I could help these mothers more. Um, but I think, you know, if my account has shown anything, it's that one person could stand up and one person can make a difference. All right. Excellent. We're going to continue this conversation on censorship. And we're on with uh, Kaya Rasik, Rasik, excuse me, the founder of Libs of TikTok. Uh, Kaya, stick with us for a second. We'll be right back. I'm Rich Valdez. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage 
all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez, if you want to join the conversation, our phone number is 833, the number four, Valdez. And that's V-A-L-D-E-S, Valdez with an S. And our guest is uh, Kaya Rachik. I want to make sure I say that right. And uh, she's the founder, the creator of Libs of TikTok. And I'm looking at an article here, uh, less than a day old right here. It says, local Wisconsin paper blames Libs of TikTok for high school canceling drag show event. Uh, it seems a lot of people are blaming you for a lot of things. And I find it fascinating that they're, uh, I understand why they're after you, but I find it fascinating that they are after you and that they've tried to censor you when you're just simply sharing content that's already out there. You're not creating this content, like making it sound as if this is your commentary and you're against this or against that. You're just sh- exposing what people are already saying. Isn't that right? Yeah, exactly. I take videos basically from TikTok. I post it to Twitter. I don't change any videos. There's very minimal commentary and they just can't stand to see their own opinions being shared to people who they don't want to see it. Yeah. And I, I, I just, I really do find it fascinating outside of a caption on somebody else's video uh, that they want to cancel you, but they won't cancel the people that are originally putting that content out there. And how do you respond to this uh, local Wisconsin newspaper that's blaming you for uh, a high school canceling a drag show event? Well, I think it's it's a massive win. I, I'll take the blame. I mean, they're using the word blame. Yeah, I would right. take the word credit or thanks, I think, would be more appropriate. But, I mean, drag shows sure. don't belong in school. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to call it out when I see it. And, you know, if they want to blame me, then they can blame me. But I think it was a big win, and I'm really happy that the drag show was canceled. Yeah, and I I, uh, I think a lot of people would agree with you on that. Now, why um, why pick up this mantle? Why get into this fight to begin with? Obviously, there is a lot to lose and, and not a, a ton to gain. What's the uh, impetus for you of why you felt this people needed to see this stuff that's out there? So... It was gradual. Um, in the beginning, it, it it wasn't so much as I didn't have a, a mission as much as I do now. It was more just, um, you know, for fun. I, I thought the videos were really funny and entertaining and interesting. Um, but then when you get into it and when you've been doing it for, I haven't even been it for that long. It's been less than two years, but it feels like a long time when, when you're in the business for for so many months, you see how rotten it is and how bad it is out there. And it's just, I feel like I have a moral obligation to continue. I, I can't stop. And the stuff I post is not even, uh, it's like a tiny fraction of how bad it really is. I mean, there's stuff in every single school and I'm just one person with one account. I obviously can't post 
everything. I can't post 100 posts a day, so I have to choose and limit what I post. But I, I just... I, I, I just can't stop. It, it feels like it's way, it's too important. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Uh, I, I mean, just for my own selfish uh, desire of reading this stuff and looking at it every day and thinking, man, uh, I can't believe some, I mean, some of the things that I found on there, uh, just to, to name a few that I think were just striking. Um, I saw a girl that was overweight clearly saying that, you know, she's not overweight. It's just that I'm fat phobic or it was, um, <laughs> I'm I'm a white supremacist, or we're all white supremacists. Mind you, I'm of Puerto Rican heritage. Um, that we're yeah. white supremacists because um, they decide to have flat stomachs, and that you know you're, you're a racist if you if people if you think people should be skinny. And I just the things that that people are out there, and they believe this, and they're they're up in arms about it. And it just it, it's it's ridiculous to me. It's funny, but at the same time, it's kind of scary thinking uh, I have to you know my children have to inherit this world. Yeah, and it, it is really scary. I, I don't have children yet, but, it, I mean, you know, I plan to. And when I do, I'm, I'm definitely nervous. I I worry for the future of our children, and that's why I think the the way to to really um, to tackle th- this issue and, and to take back our, our culture and, and, to, and to create a society where we're going to want to raise our children in I think it, the way to do that is to just keep exposing it because the more you expose it, the more that, that it's going to stop, I think, and the more they're going to run and hide from these views. Yeah, I think you're right on that. Now, about a month ago, the um, one of the guests on MSNBC accused you of uh, promoting stochastic terrorism. How do you respond to uh, an accusation like that? So the left made up the term stochastic terrorist, like literally like a couple minutes ago, specifically <laughs> for me and like a couple other commentators, uh, like Tucker Carlson, Matt Walsh, Ben Spiro. So they literally made up this term just to describe us. Um, and it basically, I mean, it, it just holds no weight to me. It, it doesn't mean anything. I think if I am a, am a terrorist because I posted a publicly available flyer for a drag show and then someone happened to go protest that drag show if if that's my fault and i'm a terrorist for it then anyone on the far left who criticizes anything i do and then me getting death threats and hate mail then that's their fault too but they don't want it to work like that they want it to only go one way so it's only when we do stuff that they don't like that we're terrorists but if they do the exact same thing then they're not that's just called reporting Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> so well put. So well put. Uh, let me remind everybody that we're on with uh, Kaya Rachik. She's the founder of Libs of TikTok. And uh, Kaya, how would you, um, I guess, uh, respond to the people that that say that you're not really promoting anything. You're just you stand for for an anti-trans or anti-LGBTQIA plus movement. Um, I stand for protecting the innocence of children. That is basically what my whole brand is. Um, And I think the destruction of our society is also affecting the innocence of our children. So it's not just the grooming, it's, it's everything. And I really seek to just expose all of that. And I want a, I want a better country to raise my children in. 
Um, and for myself, honestly, <laughs> I want to live in a country mm-hmm. where, where, you know, there's no widespread um, grooming problems. So, yeah, I mean, that's, I think that's basically my brand. And I think that it's pretty, I, I think it's pretty obvious just scrolling through, you can, e- you can easily see that. Yeah. And I, and you used an interesting term grooming. I think that's spot on because there is, it seems to be that there's a lot of grooming going on and if you use this term, I know some of the social media um, content moderators will, um, in a stochastic terrorist kind of way, take you off their platform just for uh, calling things the way you see them. And I think that's well put. Uh, I guess in uh, to, to wrap things up, I would love for you to tell everybody, this is one of the uh, larger audiences in late night live talk radio, and I'd love for you to let the audience know how they can uh, support the work you're doing, how they could uh, contribute, how they could follow let them know. So my handle is Libs of TikTok on basically all social media sites. Um, but the best way to support me is to go to libsoftiktok.com, um, which will take you to our Substack, And you can become a free subscriber or a paid subscriber if you want to help support us. Um, and that's how we can continue doing the work that we do. All right. Is there a place to buy a T-shirt? Is there, there merch for Libs of TikTok? Not right now. We, is it on the way? Yeah. Excellent. Um, yeah. So hopefully soon. Okay. Excellent. All right. There you have it, amigos. Uh, Kaya Rachik. She's the founder of Libs of TikTok. Kaya, continue doing the great work that you're doing. I think uh, it's you're, you're doing a, a yeoman's task. It's God's work. America needs more patriots like you doing this type of thing, standing up for kids and standing up for what's right and just speaking your mind. And, uh, of course, in everything you do, you're defending free speech. So uh, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Well, thank you. It was nice chatting. Likewise. All right, folks, more to come straight ahead. We're going to take a look at what's going on with the latest in the – Twitter files with uh, uh, a touch of uh, not just a dash of sofrito, but a dash of, is it garage gate or is it um, Corvette gate? I don't know. We're going to find out about that. Plus your calls and more. 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. 833-4-VALDEZ. I am Rich Valdez and we're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDES. That's Valdes with an S. We have cooperated closely with the Justice Department throughout its review, and we will continue that cooperation with the special counsel. We are confident that a thorough review will show that these documents were inadvertently misplaced, And the president and his lawyers acted promptly upon discovering of this mistake. All right. It's not a great day at the office when you have to say things like we are cooperating with the Department of Justice and your office is the White House. Right. Jeez. Uh, This is the part I'm looking at. Right. I'm looking at the bigger picture here. And when I say the bigger picture, I mean, this is the president of the United States. He's got a lot of power. Right. When you're president of the United States, you have the bully pulpit. You have the ability to just walk to your helicopter and have a gaggle of reporters follow you. And 
I find it remarkable, I really do, that here we are two years in, uh, and until, I don't know, yesterday or two days ago, there was a Democrat majority, and that here we are a couple of days later, uh, and they're not, they're not related in my opinion, but all of a sudden now you've got Biden under investigation and in the White House. Uh, at, it, it's just, it's, it made a lot of sense when it was Trump, right? And I don't agree with it, but I'm saying that Democrats hated Trump. They weaponized government. They did what they could to go after him. Understood. But the Democrats are still the ones that are in charge here, right? It's, it's Biden's people at the DOJ. There, are, there is no Republican control up until Monday, and that's just in the House by a slim margin. So it makes you wonder who in the Democrat Party or who whoever influences the Democrat Party is pushing the envelope here of saying, hey, you got to go after Biden. Now, of course, the other side of that coin is, well, it's likely to come out because Republicans have a majority, because they'll be able to subpoena people, because they're going to have committees that go into the weaponization of government and so many other things that now we have to put these things out there and we've got to kind of control the narrative saying, no, 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 look, we're, we're on the up and up. Listen, we're, we're not, we're not the Republicans. We're not Trump. We're doing this the right way. We're cooperating with the DOJ. I just think not a good look, not a good look. When I walk into my um, Cuban coffee shop for my cafe con leche this morning and uh, I don't get any, any uh, request for political commentary or debate, you know, when the news is going the other way, Oh, then they're like, oh, what do you say about Orange Man Bad? Or look at what he did today. Or what's going on with your Republicans now? You know, uh, none of that. And and the reason why? Well, because we have all of this craziness that's going on. So Joe Biden, um, he had to to say, look, I take this stuff. I, I take it. This is now this is my impression of Joe El Baboso Biden, right? The president of the United States. He uh he has, uh, you know, obviously this aged, elderly kind of voice, but it's, it's also like a little gurgle in the back of the throat. So it's not an easy impression for me to do, but um, it kind of goes like this, right? Uh, we, we take these things seriously, and if and if you don't take them seriously, then then you ain't black. That, I added that for emphasis, but I want you to hear him at the White House today uh, saying that he takes these classified documents seriously. In fact, so seriously that he locked them in the garage next to his Corvette. Check this out. Classified, classified material next to your Corvette. What were you thinking? Let me, uh, I'm going to get a chance to speak on all this, God willing, soon. But as I said earlier this week, people, and by the way, my Corvette's in a locked garage. Okay, so it's not like you're sitting out in the street. So the but street anyway, was in a locked garage. yes, as well as my Corvette. Um, but as I said earlier this week, people know I take classified documents and classified material seriously. I also said we're cooperating fully and completely with the Justice Department's review. As part of that process, my lawyers reviewed other places where documents in my, uh, of, from my time as vice president were stored, and they finished the review last night. They discovered a small number of documents of classified markings and storage areas and file cabinets in my home and my, in my, my, my personal library. This was done in the case of the Biden Penn, this was done in the case of the Biden Penn Center. The Department of Justice was immediately, as was done, the Department of Justice was immediately notified and the lawyers arranged for the Department of Justice to take possession of the document. So you're going to see, we're going to see all this unfold. I'm confident. 
Okay, he's confident that everything's going to be okay because obviously when uh, President Trump, who had been out of office, I don't know, 12 months, 18 months, whatever that number is, he's only been out of office now two years uh, or close to it. When he had documents, this was the end of the world. He was selling nuclear codes. He was doing, uh, you know, every unthinkable act you could imagine. He needed a SWAT team for the search warrant at Mar-a-Lago, right? That happened. Everybody saw that. But now for Biden, they send, you know, the, the fancy lawyers and the suits and uh, no, no, um, no search warrant, no SWAT team. But it, I find it just fascinating that he takes these things as seriously as he takes his Corvette. And he mentions it <laughs> quite often. And I just think, you know, just imagine if the shoe were on the other foot. Imagine if Donaldus Magnus, El Trumpito, the 45th president of these United States, uh, Donald J. Trump, if he were to say, uh, I, I, uh, I take this very seriously. This is huge, classified. It's huge. And uh, I got it right next to my Corvette, right in my garage at Mar-a-Lago. Believe me. Ima- imagine if that were the case. They would ridicule him. They would skewer him. They would say, oh, my gosh, you're not a serious person. You're not taking this seriously. You've got it locked next to some, some classic car that you own. Uh, how can we take you seriously if you're locking things in your garage? How classified and serious is this? Why didn't you give it back? Why have you had this for six years? Yet it seems that there's such a uh, uh, not very curious media, but for Peter Ducey from the Fox News Channel, who was uh, the one sparring with Biden in that clip. So we're going to continue um, a little bit on this this until we get to your opinions on it in the open phone segment of the program a little bit later. But there is more to come straight ahead, and we're going to have some interesting discussions later. So don't go anywhere. Don't move a muscle. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Our telephone number is 833-4-VALDES, 833-4-V-A-L-D-E-S, or you could call us on our legacy number, 866-505-4626. Let's go to Matt in North Carolina on WDKF. Matt, welcome. Hello, Hello, Rich. Happy New Year, if I didn't tell you already. Thank you, sir. Likewise. You're welcome. Um, I got the new number. I'll punch it in my phone later. But anyway, Thank you. about this Biden thing, mm-hmm. thank you. About this Biden thing, you've been caught red-handed twice. I told your call screener, Tom. He's been caught red-handed twice. The hypocrisy of last August when he talked about Trump. What in the world is going on here? Plus, he destroyed the border. Plus, he's destroying America. I mean, what more can I say? He's got to yeah. go. <laughs> it's an excellent point. Thank you, Matt. I appreciate it. The um, it, It's... Interesting. And this is the point I was making before that, you know, here he is two years into this where he had a lot of um, power. And um, here, just minutes after they lose some power, he's having to come clean and say, yeah, we're having an investigation. We're this and that, which is eventually going to lead to this Penn Biden Center that we discussed a little bit yesterday on yesterday's show. And if anybody missed any of that, check out the podcast. But it's fascinating because I think there's going to be a tie in eventually to Hunter Biden, who's radioactive to begin with when it comes to his criminality uh, or you know alleged criminality and ties to Russia and uh, ties to Ukraine and ties to China and Chinese money and the investment in this Penn Biden Center. And I think it's going to open up a Pandora's box for Biden that's going to make it 
maybe not impossible for him to run again, but it's going to make it a little bit more of a challenge. And it seems to me that the Democrats are on board with this because they would fight it tooth and nail if they if they had a choice. Maybe they don't have a choice and they know that the Republicans are going to expose this and take him to town. But either way, it's going to be interesting to see how this thing unfolds. Uh, again, Matt, thank you for your call. I appreciate it. Straight ahead, we're going to get an update from America's top uh, forensic psychiatrist on what's going on with this crazy guy that killed people in Idaho. So don't move a muscle. We're coming right back to you. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, your liberty-loving Latino amigo. We're here for the second hour. We've got some amazing guests lined up for you. And um, I mentioned earlier that I was uh, almost late to the studio today because I was hiding my classified documents in my garage next to my Corvette. And, of course, that was a tongue-in-cheek reference to President Biden and everything that's happening with him. And we're going to get to that and uh, at the top of the next hour where we talk about all of the, the crazy news of the day and uh, your opinions on Open Phone America. But uh, I want to just uh, quickly mention a couple of things. Today is Rush Limbaugh's birthday, or would have been Rush Limbaugh's birthday. So happy birthday to El Rushbo from El Macho, El Gordito, me, Richie V. And I also want to wish um, my condolences to the family of Elvis Presley and his uh, uh, former wife, um, Priscilla Presley, uh, over the loss of their daughter, um, Lisa Marie Presley, who died of uh, cardiac arrest earlier today, that was reported. And there was also uh, some headlines coming out of Idaho with respect to the murder case and the suspect who allegedly murdered everybody was back in court today at 8 o'clock in the morning and he waived his right to a hearing. But uh, we have a couple of words from the judge. Listen to this. If you waive your right to a speedy preliminary hearing, it does not mean that you're giving up your right to have a preliminary hearing. It simply means that you would not be able to come back and challenge that the state did not present probable cause within 14 days. Do you understand? Yes. So that is the uh, accused um, serial murderer, uh, Mr. Korberger, and... uh, This guy, Brian Kohlberger, he's a real piece of work. To understand a little bit about him and uh, his body language and really getting inside of this, uh, 
I don't know, vile piece of human excrement. Can we say that without violating FCC rules? Uh, we have the amazing forensic psychiatrist and body language expert, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Welcome, Doc. Thank you. Good to be back. Yes, ma'am. Uh, we spoke over the summer, and uh, when I heard that this was scheduled for today, the um, hearing, uh, I said, man, we've got to get Dr. Lieberman back because uh, I think you can read between the lines, and I know you always have your finger on the pulse of these stories, and bring us up to speed on what's going on. What did you observe today? Yes, um, I say things that some people may be thinking but don't dare to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What I think about today, well, first of all, since the, um, close to the beginning, you know, when this crime first occurred, soon after when they were talking about uh, the crime scene, you know, how brutal it was, and um, who the victims were and so on, I began talking early on about the killer being an incel, uh, meaning involuntary. Yeah, let everybody know, because I think this is a, I I spoke about this recently, and I was telling somebody, you know what incel is? Because I find this to be such a crazy concept, so feel free to explain it away. Sure. Um, Well, involuntary celibate, what it is, these are men who um, are filled with rage, because they have been rejected by women. Um, they haven't, many of them are still virgins, whatever age they are. Um, and they have been rejected really starting from early on. They want to have sex with women. They want to have a, a dating with women. They want to have normal kinds of relationships, but women reject them. And so they build up over the years a tremendous amount of rage and there are um, online, there are communities of incels, you know, chat rooms and so on, where they egg each other on, you know, saying things like, yes, um, you're right. You really should murder that person or you should rape that person or women are horrible. It's, it's genetic to be an incel because women only like guys who are good looking, you know, and on and on and on, uh, just building up a lot of rage. So. It was a combination of the description of this animalistic kind of um, scene, crime scene, not just knife, you know, not just stab wounds, which are a personal kind of crime, but just such so gory. And so um, so it would have to have been someone, especially with four victims, who was filled with a lot of rage. So it was a combination of that and then looking at the victims. Um, that brought me to this insult conclusion because the victims are these beautiful, um, popular, you know, sorority, uh, good students have their life plans, you know, ahead of them. These are like um, the typical kinds of people that incels are jealous of and furious at. Uh, they call these girls, you know, girls like that, Stacy's, and they call the men who get to go out with these girls chads. So these four students were like the quintessential Stacy mm-hmm. and Chad. Fascinating. Fascinating. <laughs> Stacy, Chad, and this um, bizarre incel movement of guys who are either insecure or, for lack of a better word, losers, and become psychos because of their loserness. Forgive my uh, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> uh, kind of uh, overstating the obvious here, but it, it to me, this is this is really a, a big part, and we're going to get to the rest of it, but I really, I'm fascinated by this piece because 
I don't know. I'm not uh, America's most foremost uh, forensic psychiatrist like you are. But <laughs> were, were there before the term incel, was this still a very popular thing of, of men who couldn't score with women and, you know, failure to launch type of thing where they, they begin to hate women and become serial killers? Well, I think it's definitely a growing movement. Um, we did have, hmm. you may remember, in 2014, the, the most famous uh, incel was um, Elliot Roger, who killed uh, college students at UC Santa Barbara um, he, by knifing them, stabbing them, shooting them, and ramming his car into them. He killed seven people, and he killed himself. So he never was tried for this, but he left a manifesto describing about how he is an incel and why he's an incel and all the pain he's had over the years of being rejected. And um, and then we also had one in Toronto in 2018, Alex uh, Manassian, who rammed people. You know, he was an incel. So there is some kind of underlying other psychiatric problem that, in other words, not all incels will kill people. Um, it has to be uh, someone who has built up a lot of rage and who um, isn't able to inhibit their violent impulses. Yeah, well, that makes a lot of sense. And and this guy seems to fit the bill for sure. And I want to um, continue on this on this thread because I know that you have uh, some analysis on his reaction in the courtroom and on the case overall, because to me, honestly, I could probably stay on this incel thing for another hour because I just find this remarkable uh, because I think there's a lot of things that go into it. And I've, I've heard commentary that they try to even politicize this, saying that incel is a movement of the left or of the right. And I think crazy is crazy, right? No matter what political ideology you uh, adhere to. Uh, but we're going to continue with Dr. Carol Lieberman. Uh, you can check her out at expert witness, uh, expert witness forensic scientist.com, expert witness forensic scientist.com. Dr. Carol Lieberman is uh, definitely my favorite uh, forensic psychiatrist and, and the only one that I know, but I can't think of one being better than her. So stick around. We're going to continue to analyze this case with Dr. Carol Lieberman. I am Rich Valdez. This is America at Night. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. understands his right to a timely preliminary hearing, and he's willing to waive the timeliness to allow us time to obtain discovery in this case. We are going to ask the court to set preliminary hearing out into June. We would request the third or fourth week of June and probably four or five days for preliminary hearing. All right, that's the um, voice of the attorney representing Brian Koberger, who returned to an Idaho courtroom today. Uh, saying through his attorney that he plans to challenge the evidence against him at a preliminary hearing. Coburg, Coburger, excuse me, 28, uh, wearing his orange jumpsuit, um, saying orange is the new black. Just kidding. That's me adding that. Uh, was slouching as he walked into the, the courtroom 
and um, decided to uh, waive his right to a speedy preliminary hearing. So that's the current case. Our guest is Dr. Carol Lieberman, and I was given the wrong information. The deep state is at it again. It's expertwitnessforensicpsychiatrist.com. Dr. Carol, welcome back. Thank you. Oh, it's my pleasure. So uh, tell us, um, what do you make of his body language entering the courtroom today? Well, what we have seen as compared to the first time that he walked into um, the Idaho courthouse, you know, when he first got there, it is a watered down version of himself. Um, in other words, you know, when he first came in, he, 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 was, he had an attitude. He was a bit arrogant um, when he answered the judge, yes, you know, do you understand this and that and all that? He was very forceful the way he said yes. It was almost like an attorney. And um, today he was, he seemed like the spark had gone, gone out of him. Um, and I think that that's primarily due to his having read the um, probable cause affidavit and seen all of the evidence that they have against him. You know, he was, when he left uh, Pennsylvania, he was all very cocky at that court appearance. And he had this attitude and he said, he told his, his attorney that he was going to um, uh, be acquitted. You know, he was very positive about all this. That was before he saw all the evidence they had. Right. And that's why he decided to reject the evidence. Say, no, 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 I don't like that stuff. It's going to put me in jail. So the guy's clearly a smart guy. He's a Ph.D. student studying, I think, sociology or criminology. And uh, every Ph.D. that I've met is typically uh, rather self-assured because, you know, they have to defend their dissertation. And I think it, it goes part and parcel with, um, you know, reaching that pinnacle of one's career. Uh, so I think some of that explains it. But is some of this bravado or this this um, this. I guess, patina of, of confidence that he has. Is it related to him being a psychotic serial killer or is it just because he's you know full of himself? Well, I don't know that he, I don't think he's psychotic at this point. Um, you know, he, ha, he, you know, I, I don't think I'm, I'm being very specific about that because uh, as it turns out, Idaho doesn't have, not guilty by reason of insanity. But if mm. it did, you know, um, he would not qualify. I do not think that he was psychotic at the time of the crime. In other words, he knew the nature of his crime and he knew that it was wrong. Um, but they do allow, like, uh, psychiatric expert witnesses to talk about his mental state just as uh, mitigating factors. Um, but, you know, he's... Uh, He's obviously, he's like a Petri dish of psychopathology. He's a very interesting guy. Um, some of the things that, like today, one of the things today in terms of his attorney, um, I think people, some people are thinking this, but I haven't heard anybody say it, that the, his attorney, who I think is very good, because before he even got to Idaho, she was already looking through or having uh, accident reconstruction, killing, murder reconstruction, people going through the house. And she seems very industrious and all that. Um, I mean, I think she'll do as good a job as one could possibly do. But it's kind of ironic that here, uh, with going back to the insults for a minute, they, you know, their rage is because they didn't get um, a Stacy, right? 
And his lawyer um, looks like, Ann Taylor, she looks like, if not now, then certainly when she was a college student, she is, uh, she could be uh-huh. classified she is Stacy. <laughs> as, as a Stacy. So ironically, he gets his Stacy, right? I don't mean that, you know, I don't think they're doing anything intimate together. But right. I mean, he, you know, he has someone, a Stacy paying attention to him, not rejecting him after he commits this horrific crime. So I thought that I think there's there's a lot of irony in there. Um, yeah, and, and I think just to go back to the point you made, so uh, it, it's interesting to note that you so you think he was of I don't want to say sober mind, but it wasn't a psychotic episode where he got into this fit of rage and decided to go in there and kill these people because he's so angry. But it was more a methodical, planned out. Uh, let me go in there and take my time to create this gruesome crime scene. Well. You know, he took about 20 minutes or so, but um, but the, the planning of it was months. Um, and this is one of the things you probably have noticed. Um, you know, at the very beginning, Kaylee's father, he's the one who's the parent who's the yeah, most vocal. Yeah, Mr. Gonsalves, right. Yes. And um, he said at the beginning that, um, uh, that he, he wanted to... Um, let me just think. I'm trying to think of which aspect. Um, he, he was saying, well, first of all, the thing that, that is the change now is that um, he, he said that he knew, he, well, he, he said that, that uh, Kaylee told him that she was being stalked. You, you must uh, have heard that. He said it a lot of yeah. times. And, um, and, and now all of a sudden, um, the lawyer for the family... Kaylee's family um, has been saying that no, she wasn't stalked, and there's no connection. Now, not only did Kaylee tell her father that she was being stalked, but um, there was a, a man who was a manager of a of the a vape store in the town, and he said that her friends, a friend or friends of Kaylee's, told him that she was being stalked, and that they used to walk behind her you know, to protect her from her stalker. Now, add to that Mm. um, the fact that when they did arrest Brian Koberger, uh, Kaylee's father had this reaction, a very strong reaction. It was kind of like a combination of a deer in headlights and an aha reaction. And he said, oh, like, now I see the link. Words to that effect. There is a connection. Now I see it. I'm not ready to talk about it now, but I, I, I see the connection. And then um, since then, the lawyer for the family, again, is saying, um, no, there's no connection. We don't have any connection. Well, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's just not believable. Now, since then, just recently, just the other night, um, a reporter for Court TV uh, found at least one connection, which um, has very interesting timing. Kaylee went to a bar called the Coog at the in in Washington near the State University of Washington. You know, in other words, where I mean, the two towns were so close together, and and the students used to go from one town to the other. They were only about ten minutes away, and um, she had been in this Coog bar in June, and she signed her name. Um, on a wall where students sign their name, and she put her date of birth and so on. We know it's her. And um, so it is likely that um, Brian had been in that bar, perhaps when she was, 
uh, because mm. the interesting thing is that it, he started pinging, <laughs> his phone started pinging in June, the same time wow. that she was in that bar. So it's been going on for a while. Dr. Carol Lieberman, I hate to cut it short here because it's just getting so good, uh, but I do want to thank you for being with us, and I want to invite you back because I think this we're going to continue to need your expert analysis on this story. Absolutely. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks, Dr. Carol Lieberman, expert witness, forensicpsychiatrist.com. And straight ahead, we're going to talk about the plot to, uh, to kill Churchill. Don't go anywhere. is America. This is night. This is Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And our telephone number, if you want to join the conversation, is 833-4-VALDEZ, and that's 833, the number four, followed by V-A-L-D-E-S. Now, I want to read a quote to you. It says, authoritarianism can arise anywhere. And one of the great lessons of World War II is that when authoritarian regimes are in power, no one is safe. That simple fact is as true today as it was in the 1940s. And he who penned this quote is Brad Meltzer, uh, best-selling author Brad Meltzer, author of The Nazi Conspiracy, The Secret Plot to Kill Roosevelt, Stalin, and Churchill. Brad Meltzer, welcome, sir. Uh, Thank you, Rich. I appreciate it. My pleasure. I'm, I'm really uh, curious to hear this because I, I'm, not a, I'm not a bad guy, but, you know, a plot to kill Stalin doesn't sound too bad to me. So I'm really curious uh, to hear about that. Yeah. The and listen, the Stalin will be one thing. The problem is they also want to kill Winston Churchill and FDR mm. at the height of World War II. And that's obviously the bigger problem. But let, let's paint the picture here. It's... Um, this is a true story and a nonfiction book I worked on called The Nazi Conspiracy. And it's set in 1943. And it's the moment where Stalin wants us to come and invade continental Europe. He's obviously been invaded by the Nazis. He's getting decimated there. We, of course, have been sending weapons and munitions, but he wants us to invade from the east and what is eventually going to become the invasion of Normandy. But to do that, they realize that the big three have to get on the same page, the United States, the United Kingdom, and of course the Soviet Union need to get on the same page. And they believe get in the same room, look each other eye to eye, make these decisions, talk about troop movements, talk about morale, talk about how this is going to happen. And this meeting has millions of lives at stake, truly millions, which is one of the rare moments in history where you see that. And FDR is the middleman for this meeting because Stalin and Churchill hate each other. And what I what it's amazing about the moment, the meeting takes place in Tehran, Iran, of all places, and FDR's motorcade comes to the city, and it's coming through the center of the city. Everyone's craning their neck to see the president arrive, and what they don't realize is the president's not in that motorcade. The car they're waving at actually has a Secret Service agent in it who's acting as a decoy. The real FDR is across town. He's in a beat-up old sedan, ducked down and hiding in the back as it races through the side streets of the city because they're worried that there's a Nazi assassin who's about to kill him. 
and I just ruined chapter one of the Nazi conspiracy. But <laughs> but that's that's chapter one of the book, and that's how the book opens and, and obviously tackles the question of why is FDR hiding in the back of a car at the height of World War II? Wow. Well, it's, it sounds amazing so far, and I encourage everybody to get a copy or two and give one away to somebody who, who wants to read about this. But uh, I find it interesting that, you know, this is taking place in Iran. And I mean, so many of these powers uh, that you're talking about back in the 1940s are still in play today. So it's interesting to see that interesting um, historical juxtaposition. Uh, but let's talk about uh, how this story progresses. <clears throat> Obviously, everybody has their motives to, to kill each of these people. But maybe you could walk us through about uh, the, the reasoning behind why they each wants to kill Roosevelt, Stalin, and Churchill? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, great question. The The whole thing is assassination during World War II was just a very common weapon in the quiver of each of these countries. And we've, of course, heard the stories of Adolf Hitler. You know, they tried to get him on a train. They tried to get him in the Alps. But even in the United States, there was a moment where FDR was faced with the question of whether he should attack General Yamamoto. And General Yamamoto is the Japanese architect of Pearl Harbor. And obviously, you know, one of our great enemies at the time. And what they do is they ask uh, FDR, do you want to kill him? We figured out where he's going to be. We know his flight plan. We can kill him. And FDR weighs the decision and famously says, quote, get Yamamoto. And we do. We assassinate him. And when the Nazis figure out that uh, they think for a moment that Winston Churchill's on a commercial flight. They shoot that plane out of the sky. So you're seeing this over and over. And what happens in this moment is there's a Nazi who's on the ground in Tehran, Iran, uh, and his name is Franz Mayer. He's like late 20s. He's really a kid. And he goes underground. He's there. They, they put him in there early. But the truth is, when the Allies took over Tehran, they thought he was killed. They just figured that he must have been captured or killed. And a few years later, uh, they realize he sends a message back to Berlin to the Nazis. And he says, listen, I got a drop zone. I got paratroopers that you can drop here. You can send me money. You can." He's been building a network of people who are sympathetic to the Nazi cause. And here's how you can even reach me with a secret code. And in that moment, the Nazis in Berlin get one of the greatest things that anyone gets in the middle of a fight, which is an opportunity. So when the big three are finally coming to Tehran, the Nazis now have a man on the ground. And that's the beginning of it. Well, let's talk more about some of the other Nazi players involved, but that, that's the setup of it. Fantastic. Uh, I'm, I'm envisioning it as, as we have the conversation. I can't wait to hear the next part of it. Uh, folks, we're on with Brad Meltzer. He's a best-selling author of The Nazi Conspiracy, The Secret Plot to Kill Roosevelt, Stalin, and Churchill. And straight ahead, we're going to continue our conversation and discuss why we're still fighting the Nazis and why do we even still have authoritarian regimes when we've seen how poorly they, they go in history? So we're going to get to that with Brad Meltzer discussing his book as well. And uh, your phone calls, 833-4-VALDES, 833-4-VALDES with an S. We're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at night 
with Rich Valdez. All right, big thanks to our jazz quartet that's playing live in the studio. Just kidding. If we could afford a jazz quartet, uh, we, we would, uh, we'd be doing that. All right, folks, we're back. I am Rich Valdez. Our guest is Brad Meltzer. He's the author of The Nazi Conspiracy, The Secret Plot to Kill Roosevelt, Stalin, and Churchill. And uh, I want to talk a little bit about why we're still fighting Nazis and uh, other authoritarian regimes. Brad Meltzer. Yeah, listen, um, you're asking the right question. And, and one of the things that really struck me when we were researching this book, when we see the Nazis in Charlottesville or you see Kanye West shooting his mouth off with anti-Semitic comments, we all mm. wring our hands here and we say, how oh, this, you know, this can't be happening in 2023. This doesn't happen in America. This should be in Europe in the 1940s. How could it be? And when we were researching this book, one of the things we found was an actual Nazi rally in Madison Square Garden at the height of World War II, mm-hmm. and 20,000 Nazis cheering. They had a giant banner of George Washington surrounded by swastikas, and the first speaker of the night said, if George Washington were alive today, he would be friends with Adolf Hitler. And, wow. you know, we all think of World War II as being so long ago, but Anne Frank was born the same year as Barbara Walters. It's not wow. that long ago. And those stories don't go away. And if anything, you know, authoritarians have – there's a recipe for authoritarian regimes. And the recipe usually it comes with some level of you have this, you know, person in power with a giant ego who, you know, obviously is in control of the country. But what goes along with that is a group of people in that country who are economically suffering. And sadly so, right? But you – and then mm-hmm. taking advantage of that suffering and saying – those people are the reason for your problems. That's what happens in World War II, right? Adolf Hitler looks at those Germans who are just struggling and says, you know what the problem is? Those people, those Jewish people are the problem. And you can see that repeated decade after decade, those people, that's a code. Sometimes it's the black community. It can be the gay community. It could be the immigrant community. You pick your community. But when you see a group of people being targeted whether, you know, especially obviously when you saw what happened with Kanye West, that's the code. And you've got to use your voice and speak up and say enough, because the reason authoritarian things happen like that is, you know, in World War Two, we found this in the book is um, there was there's something called the Wannsee Conference. It's a boring, mundane government conference that takes place in World War Two in Germany. Everyone, these bureaucrats walk into the meeting. Everyone grabs a a file folder and a pencil out of the pencil cup. They sit around a big, you know, giant boardroom table. And you'd think they're discussing something boring like paving roads. But what they're discussing is the population of Jews and how they're going to efficiently kill them. And we all blame Adolf Hitler as, oh, here's the authoritarian. But what we forget is that all those bureaucrats, all those workers in that government, none of them did anything. No one said no. And as Americans, we have to, if there's a lesson of World War II, you've got to use your voice and speak up. You know, Brad Meltzer, I think that's an excellent point. And one of the things that I find just in my day-to-day life is how often awareness makes a difference in things, right? And you're describing a lot of things, right, about this, these different meetings that were going on a million years ago. But I, I think your point about how that wasn't necessarily – it did happen a long time ago, but it doesn't mean it's not happening today. And what I find is oftentimes people will have very shrouded uh, commentary 
whatever it is, they want to talk about banking. And, you know, the problem with banking or the problem with, you know, these international banks and and the the end of their conversation has nothing to do with banks. It's that they want to talk about European banks. And then in particular, they want to it ends up being something anti-Semitic. Right. And I realize that this is a tool of modern day Nazis where they just create this rhetoric to continue doing what they do. So to me, it's it's no wonder if people think the Nazis died with Hitler, um, you can continue to fall for the same traps. And I, I, that's part of why I think we keep seeing these issues arise, kind of like what you describe in the book and kind of like what we see in, in, in modern day situations today. And I guess my question for you is why do we see these um, various regions around the world and populations continue to fall for these authoritarian figures? You know, I, I think that there's a real, um, and it's and we sell this all over the world, right? I mean, we always tell the story as Americans that, you know, we, when, we're, when it comes to World War II, we punch the Nazis in the jaw and we save the day for democracy. It's a beautiful story, but it's not the real story. It doesn't at all capture the complexity. It's the Hollywood version of what really happened. And I think one of the things that we feed when we tell these stories is, you know, there is a great thing about strong leaders. If you, you know, I, I've written a book. I wrote the first conspiracy with Josh Mensch about the secret plot to kill George Washington that really happened. I wrote the Lincoln conspiracy about a secret plot to kill Abraham Lincoln at the start of his presidency. And now, of course, studying FDR. And Rich, when I look at what makes a good president through history, when we think about who our best presidents are, the Abraham Lincolns, the George Washingtons, the ones that everyone, no matter what your politics are, we all agree on. It's not the people who make the best speeches. It's not the people who make the best promises. It's the people who, at a moment when a disaster strikes, in that moment, they can pivot and adjust and deal with that disaster and be the right person in the right place. And those are the best presidents. And FDR in this moment is that person, right? He believes he can charm Joseph Stalin, the uncharmable. He's like, Stalin likes me more than he likes you, Churchill. And then he also believes he can charm Churchill. And he's absolutely right. He's the guy for the job. But I, I'm saying this to put my point being is I think we sometimes confuse and, and push so much that strength is a good thing. We forget that strength is also a bad thing. Our greatest strength is always our greatest weakness. And, and when you have people that follow the strength of someone, they sometimes follow it blindly. And, and it's amazing to me when we were doing the book, there's this wonderful, crazy, horrible moment with the Nazis and Adolf Hitler. Adolf Hitler summons a guy named Otto Skorzeny, a Nazi I'd never heard of, to the Wolf Slayer, to his, Adolf Hitler's private headquarters. And Skorzeny gets there. He finds out that Adolf Hitler has brought all of his top special operations guys because he wants to find the strongest one, the best one. And Hitler, again, focusing on strength alone, lines him up shoulder to shoulder in the Wolf Slayer. And he asks him one question as a quiz. He says, what do you think of Italy? And they all say, oh, you know, Italy's fighting on our side. We'll fight to the death with them. It's wonderful that they're with us. But Otto Skorzeny screams out above everybody else, shouts out, I am from Austria, my Fuhrer. And it's a gamble by Skorzeny because he knows Adolf Hitler is from Austria. And he also knows that a true Austrian resents Italy because in World War I, Italy took a key part of Austria and never gave it back. And Adolf mm-hmm. Hitler looks at Otto Skorzeny and he's like, you're my guy. And he sends him on this secret mission. He believes that this demand for strength is going to be this incredible secret mission that he's going to put him on. It's such a crazy moment. We actually put a real photograph of 
of Otto Scorzeni in the book. Josh mentioned, I said, we got to put a photo of this moment in there. Or people won't realize it's real. And, and I say that, that I think, again, you know, we confuse strength with being right. And just because you're strong doesn't mean you're right. But people want to follow that strength. And, and sadly, sometimes it can lead you over a cliff. Yeah. And you know what? No better examples of exactly what you're saying than the strength of Stalin versus the strength of Churchill. Folks, we're on with Brad Meltzer, author of The Nazi Conspiracy. Check him out at bradmeltzer.com. When we come back, we're going to discuss the misinformation machine that's been with us for decades and how that fits into the book. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. is America. This is night. This is Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Our phone number 8334-VALDEZ. Our guest, Brad Meltzer, best-selling author of The Nazi Conspiracy, The Plot to Kill Roosevelt, Stalin, and Churchill. And uh, quickly, we're going to discuss the role that the misinformation machine has played for decades. Brad Meltzer. Yeah, you know, um, right now, you and I, we have Instagram, we have Twitter, we have everything else. When when a piece of information comes out, we can all agree or disagree. We say, oh, that's not true, you know. And um, I don't think we realize the impact that it has. We can't even agree on basic facts. And and back then, you know, when you were looking at, you know, information, when Churchill and Stalin, when Churchill and FDR meet for the very first time in Casablanca, and they say, we're, you know, we will only accept an unconditional surrender. They see and photograph the two men, the two men together. It completely says the allies are united and that that perception is reality. But today, with all of us divided, all of us with our own opinions, all of us with, you know, with our feeds, our our own publishers. Again, it's a great strength, but it's a terrible weakness and it divides us. I don't think we realize just how much information is 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 just killing us right now, that misinformation. And to me, if I could teach one thing to kids in school, it would be critical thinking. Sure, I want them to learn history. Sure, I want them to learn, but it, just to start learning when they're being lied to, when those exaggerations are there. And if, if we could just do that, maybe we could finally get on the same page. Because until we do, you know, to me, the American dream is not about making money. The American dream is about when you see someone being picked on, when you see someone being bullied, you use your voice and you stand up and you say enough. So, yes, we wrote the Nazi conspiracy to entertain you and to teach you about history. But we also wrote it to warn you of what happens when misinformation and when authoritarianism, what it can do so quickly. You don't you don't learn that history. You certainly, my friend, Rich, relive it. You know that. Uh, True, true words. We have to be entertaining, we have to be informative, and we have to be patriots. And, um, and there's no other way to do it than by doing the right thing. Brad Meltzer, uh, let everybody know how they can get a copy or two copies of this book. I thank you for it. You know, it's available in every store right now, every bookstore. You can go online to Amazon or your local bookseller. And the best part is there's an audio book if you want to download the audio. There's an e-book if you want to download the e-book. But if you know anyone who loves history... That's what we wrote the book for. You know, those of us who love America and love history and love seeing the, the amazing story of World War II. Because World War II is not just about an ideal, an idea. It's about an ideal of who America is. 
And it's one of our finest moments. I love the fact we get to tell this story. Well, there you have it, folks. BradMelter.com. Check it out wherever you get your books. Brad, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate the conversation. Thank you, my friend. Yes, sir. All right, folks, more to come straight ahead. Open Phone America, where you get to sound off and weigh in and let your voice be heard on America's Late Night Town Hall Forum, America at Night, with me, Rich Valdez. So don't go anywhere. We are coming back shortly. Again, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ, Open Phone America, coming right up. the city that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night with rich valdez america's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across america and now here is your host rich valdez Good evening. Hi there. I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez with an S on all of the social media. And uh, I want to talk about a a few things in this hour, this third and final hour, Open Phone America. It's my pleasure to speak with you guys. Again, you have the phone number, 8334-VALDEZ. I forget what those numbers translate to, but we will get them to you shortly. But the, the breaking news this hour I mentioned it a little bit at the top of the last hours. Lisa Marie Presley dead at 54 years old of a cardiac arrest. And there seems to be a lot of cardiac arrest going on lately, at least a lot of it on video, more so than I've seen in in recent times. And um, maybe we can um, dig into that with a a doctor soon. But it seems like there's a little bit of an uptick in that. So my condolences to to their family, uh, as well as a happy birthday to El Rushbo. And uh, let's see here. Joe Biden, right? Joe Biden has been, I don't know. I think, you know, I, I want to say he's he's got a, I think we can now call him embattled Joe Biden, right? Like the way the media does when it's a Republican, they would say, you know, embattled President Donald Trump, embattled President Joe Biden, I believe we can use that term, is uh, he's out there saying all sorts of things. I mean, I really feel like he makes it up as he goes along. Uh, we we have the inflation numbers that came out today, the CPI, and yes, it's down, and I'm I'm happy it's down, um, because obviously you would think that we're going to pay less, and and that's why I don't always um, take everything at face value when Joe Biden says it, because I know that while food costs have gone up, I've never really gone to a restaurant or to a grocery store or a supermarket or a bodega. And have somebody say, oh, you know what? These are down now because inflation's back down. So, you know, you're not going to pay $14 for a plate of food. You're only going to pay 8 like you did a year ago. So I don't see that happening. If that's happening to you, let me know. Give us a call or uh, just drop me a quick comment on social media at Rich Valdez with an S at Rich Valdez. But I find it interesting that Joe Biden's at the White House today and he says takeout food and energy prices are 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 going to be going down. Let, let us see if, you know, inflation has actually cooled to the point where these things go backwards. Uh, because from right now, it just seems like he's saying they're not going to go forward. Listen to this. Plus, House Republicans have introduced another bill, blocking action that would help lower gas prices and help consumers. And on top of that, 
House Republicans are preparing to vote on a national sales tax bill. National sales tax. That's a great idea. It would raise taxes on the middle class by taxing thousands of everyday items from groceries to gas while cutting taxes for the wealthiest Americans. And if I'm not mistaken, what they've introduced, it also would totally eliminate the IRS. Feels good, except all going to be sales tax. Go home and tell your moms. They're going to be really excited about that. Come on. Is this how the House Republicans are starting a new term? Cutting taxes for billionaires? Raising taxes for working families? Making inflation worse? Well, let me be very clear. If any of these bills make it to my desk, I will veto them. I will flat veto them. I'm ready to work with Republicans, not this kind of stuff. They try to cut Social Security with his whispering, Medicare, let me veto them. I think that's it. But this is cut 13. I want to cut 12 where we're talking about uh, inflation and food insecurity. But what Biden said was food inflation is slowing as well. Right. Last month, we saw the smallest increase in food prices in almost two years. And much of that increase was due to the avian flu outbreak, which drove up egg prices in and around the United States. It's not just gas and food prices, though. Biden continues. He says we look at what the economists call core inflation which takes out energy and food, and we, we welcome the news as well. Core inflation is down to the lowest level in a year. And look, that's a fact, right? Because he's the one that jacked them up to the highest levels in 43 years. Uh, over the past three months, core inflation has come down by 3% on an annualized basis. That's down more than 6% from the beginning of 2022. Right, so we, we have to remember that inflation was 2.5% when Biden took office. And uh, he finishes this saying, the cost of goods is actually falling as prices for everything from computers to used cars are coming down as well. Well, I really hope that's the case because that's kind of like saying, you know, um, murders are down. Great. That's how it's supposed to be, right? We're not supposed to live in a place that's a murderous society. I was looking at something yesterday for uh, one of the guests that we had, one of the research pieces I was looking at. And the, the argument that was being made in one of the articles I read was that it's somehow, you know, it's wrong for us to say that crime is on the rise and that this is somehow a conservative right-wing talking point because crime's not really on the rise. It's just that there was an increase in crime in 2020 and 2021 so that we don't have conclusive numbers for 2022. And I look at that and I think, it just fascinates me that people, they're not just trying to spin it. They really believe these things that because they feel, in their opinion, 2020 was an anomaly because of COVID, because of this, because of that, that we should accept higher rates of everything, higher rates of murder, higher rates of shooting, higher rates of you name it, because blame everything on COVID. And if you can't blame it on COVID, you blame it on Putin. And I think this is a false narrative. Like we should not believe this nonsense. This is something that we, we need to call out every time they do it. So when Biden comes in and says, hey, look, this is down from the highest level in 43 years to, you know, it's down three points from that. Great. That's great. We're trending in the right direction. I, I, I appreciate that. I think that you, you want to continue doing that. Stop selling the strategic petroleum reserve and let's continue to go in the right direction. Uh, but the reason inflation is coming down is because interest rates have been going up, right? And this is that whole Volcker model. 
So this is not uh, us being out of the woods anytime soon. Uh, every economist that we've had on this program has made it very clear where this is going to last for quite a while. So I just wanted to, to point that out because I think uh, you and me and everybody else listening to this, uh, it, this is live late night radio. So we've got cops and, and firefighters that are, that are out there on call, uh, cabbies, people working that have us tuned in on their, on their laptops, people that have us tuned in in their car while they're working at, in their homes while they're listening. And wherever they're listening from, you're all paying more. Right. And, and the fact that uh, I can't go into the restaurant today and say, hey, look, um, President Biden said that inflation's down. So I want a discount on this. Now, I probably will start doing that because I'm that guy. But I, I think I don't know if that's going to happen. So I'd love to get your reactions on that. Plus, we had some great conversations tonight where uh, we discussed um, the plot to kill Stalin and and um, Churchill as well as FDR with Brad Meltzer. That was a really good conversation in the last hour. We also had a really good talk with um, Kaya Rachik. I want to make sure I say her name right. She's the founder of Libs of TikTok, where they expose how, you know, different school boards are just going over the deep end with um, this indoctrination on children and students and whatnot. And there's a story on that out of Clark County, Nevada. Excuse me. And their uh the the school board takes exception to what the mom is saying and the mom is really merely just reading what's in her kids her 15 year old kids assignment that she had to read and act out in class so we'll get you that audio coming back uh but there's a few other things that we um we discussed tonight uh with dr carol lieberman where she um was using her skills as a body language expert and a forensic psychiatrist to analyze the murderer of uh, those uh, college kids in Idaho. So I want to talk about all those things as well as your calls. I see some of the topics here. You want to talk about Nazis. You want to talk about Biden. You want to talk about a toilet that has a cooler seat and uh, or a cooler slash toilet. Very high tech. All right, well, maybe we'll get to that. <laughs> and uh, somebody's making a shout out to El Rushbo, who uh, today is his birthday. So uh, all of that and more straight ahead. I am Rich Valdez. We're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. He's brown, he's bald, and he's breaking it down. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Let us go to Steve in Topeka, Kansas on 1440 AM KMAJ, the big talker. Steve, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Hi. I wanted to comment about your last guest you had. Um mm-hmm. He said at the height of World War II, there was a rally to celebrate the rise of Nazism in Germany in 1943. That is not true. 
I'm looking Wonderful. at the History Channel page right now. It says six and a half months before Adolf Hitler invaded Poland, New York City's Madison Square Garden hosted a rally to celebrate the rise of Nazism in Germany. Inside, more than 20,000 attendees raised Nazi salutes toward a 30-foot portrait of George Washington flanked by swastikas. Outside, police and some 100,000 protesters gathered. It happened on February 20th, 1939, and it was called the Pro-American Rally. It did not happen in 1943. So what do you suggest, Steve? Uh, Do you suggest we uh, file a lawsuit against him? Uh, We issue an immediate retraction. What would you recommend? Well, I'm a historian. I didn't ask you what Uh, you were. I want to know what you recommend. I just want people to tell the truth. I'm, I'm, I don't know what you're thinking, but... Uh, I'm thinking that I want to know what you recommend. So there's a discrepancy in, in your historical uh, assessment of the date versus Mr. Meltzer's, and this is what we should spend uh, our evening discussing on the radio. So you're saying the History Channel's wrong? No, I'm saying our call screener should probably do a better job and not put calls that are pointless that don't add value to the program on the air. But thank you, Steve. I appreciate your call. Always a pleasure. Let us uh, continue uh, with Craig. Craig in Minnesota listening on WIZM. Craig. Hello, am I still there? Anybody home? Anybody home, Craig? Anybody there? All right. Am I still there? All right, Craig, I'm going to hang up. If you keep saying things that are pointless, can you get to the point? Yeah, sorry. I just took you off speaker. I I understand. Nobody needs to know if we're on speaker. We want to hear what you want to say on the radio about Biden. So, all right, here's my question that I don't believe anybody has asked. Um, So Trump has documents that as a president, he's okay to have. As a citizen, he shouldn't have. Uh, Biden has documents as a vice president that he should have as a citizen he shouldn't have. What other presidents, former presidents and former vice presidents, are seeing that documents they shouldn't have? Yeah, you know, it's interesting you bring that up because when this happened uh, originally, right, when they did this whole raid on Trump and they were saying, oh, my gosh, he's selling nuclear secrets, he's doing this. It's funny how nobody's talking about nuclear secrets anymore. Uh, but when they did that, they, there was uh, some analysis by one of the news agencies uh, saying that there were plenty of people, uh, presidents, that had left and taken documents because it's a pretty common practice to leave with documents that are, are uh, classified and whatnot. And they declassify them as, as they, they leave office to use them in their presidential libraries, museums, their personal records and what have you. And – uh, they went down the list of, you know, saying that when when President Obama left, he left with this many records. And I think he was the one that left with the most. And it, it's an interesting question that you pose because it's a valid one. I think we should always look at these things and ask these questions. And when I think when you ask this question and you get the information, you realize that, yeah, lots of them are leaving with this information. And what I find interesting is that it seems like it's damage control by the media. Everybody's saying, wow, you know what we need to do is take 
you know, take a deep breath. Let us be calm, cool, and collected. Uh, let's figure out why these were in his garage next to his Corvette. Let's figure out what was going on with this office. You know, it wasn't nobody saying he's selling information to the Chinese. His son Hunter had deals with Ukraine. His son Hunter had this and that. I mean, maybe there's a few people saying that or suggesting it or asking those questions. But it seems that the media is entirely uninterested and uh, in completely not curious in the least on whether that's the case. But when it's the other way around, it's Trump selling nuclear secrets. And I, th I think it's a, it's a brilliant point that you bring in because that is the question we should be asking. Who's doing that and how common of a practice is it? Right, Craig? Yeah. And as president, they have the right to the classified documents. That is their right as president. Mm -hmm. But, you know, Obama didn't declassify those documents, as far as we know, for Biden to have. And Trump didn't declassify those documents when he was president for him to have as a public citizen. And, you know, I, that that's where I get murky on all of this. And, and then again, I start asking and thinking about, you know, what is Mr. Obama sitting on? What are the Bush family sitting on? Um, you know, I, I don't care about the political. Right. You're, you're just thinking about the, the, the legality the, of it. The legality of it. And for us as American citizens, what are those people that we have put our trust in? Um, you know, what are they doing? Do they, most of I, I agree, don't really deserve our trust. But at the same time, we've elected them and they have a public duty to Right to do what's right. I, I totally get the point. I think you're you're spot on. It, it it it's incumbent upon all of us to do what's right. It's incumbent upon all of us to kind of go the extra mile to make sure we're being conscientious in whatever our work is. Right, whether we're working on this radio show or working in the White House or leaving the White House, we've got to do the right thing. And and I get your point. And it, it, one last point that I'll make with this is that former presidents <clears throat> um, maintain a certain level of. Um, security clearance where they're continually briefed, uh, you know, post-presidency on the intelligence briefings and whatnot. And, and this is an interesting consideration because while they have the same rights and protections as any other private citizen, they're not an ordinary private citizen, right? So they're getting information that the rest of us aren't getting. And I think it's important to remember that because you know, Jimmy Carter is getting these, um, these, these briefings, uh, Obama, Bush, et cetera. So I think we need to realize that and, and remember those things when we look at things and say, oh, no, but Trump did this and Trump did that. And so somehow Trump's not entitled to anything. Right. And it's not necessarily my defense of Trump. This is necessarily my indictment of, of a media that's entirely uh, not curious and unfair, in my opinion. But, Craig, thank you for the point. I appreciate it. I think it's a really uh, good point and an important one. Uh, we're going to continue with this uh, topic that I want to get to, which is the um, the Idaho murders. We'll talk about that a little bit, a little recap on that. And there's also this other story that I wanted to talk about with the school district. And I, I read this article on the air the day it came out or right afterwards uh, about the Nevada school district and the 
lawsuit because they made some kid read pornographic material in class for an assignment. But uh, we have a clip of audio on that, and I want to play that for you uh, once we come back for the bottom of the hour. So don't go anywhere. 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. 833-4-VALDEZ. I am Rich Valdez. We're coming right back. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDES. That's Valdes with an S. All right, so welcome back. I mentioned this story a little while ago about the, the case that's in Nevada, Clark County, Nevada. School district sued for pornographic assignment that was barred from being read to school board. And oftentimes this is... This is the the litmus test, right? You you take questionable material that's being taught in the classroom, and then you just have a parent go to a school board meeting, and when it's public comment time, they read the assignment that their kid had to read from the book that the school board chose, or not the school board, but the the yeah the school board eventually I guess approves the curriculum that the teachers pick, and had the students read, and. They once you start using the foul language, oh, we don't use that language. Oh, you can't say that. Oh, that that, and it's like, wow, that's funny because you guys are adults and we're adults, but yet you're having kids do this every day. And to me, this is the uh, the ultimate uh, litmus test on whether it's right or wrong. If you won't allow it in a school board meeting, why on earth do we allow it in kids' classrooms? And one mom did this brilliantly. This story uh, broke about a week ago. I read it on the air, but I, I just heard this news report that included some clips from the uh, from the hearing, and I thought. Good time to revisit it because I want to share that with you. Listen to this. Two Las Vegas parents are suing the Clark County School District over an assignment where they say their 15-year-old daughter was required to read an expletive-laced monologue. This was May when the student's mother brought her concerns to the Board of Trustees. This will be horrifying for me to read to you, but that will give you perspective on how she must have felt when her teacher required her to memorize this and to act it out in front of her entire class. I don't love you. It's not you. It's just, I don't like your... Forgive me, I, we're not using profanity. Are you... If you don't want me to read it to you, what was that like for my 15-year-old daughter to have to memorize pornographic material? Madam President, it's members of the board staffs on this, um, we can have the region superintendent speak to her. The lawsuit says the final version of the monologue described a woman telling her boyfriend that she was a lesbian. The monologue, which the lawsuit alleges the drama teacher edited, said in part, I don't love you. It's not you. It's just your I don't like your or any in that case. It also included, I'm a lesbian. I'll never love you or any man or any the lawsuit claims CCSD and the teacher were negligent, among other allegations. The district does not comment on pending litigation. So there, there's uh, that report. And again, I think it's just so interesting to me how th- they want your kids re- and everything they're bleeping out there. You know, it's it's the male genitalia, the, the D word, things like that, that are just inappropriate. And, you know, the F-bomb. A- and I'm thinking this is what's happening. And kudos to this mom. But when this mom steps up, 
she, you know, has the potential to be labeled a domestic violent extremist, a, a domestic terrorist by Merrick Garland and his band of merry men at the DOJ and the FBI. And it, it just makes me think, man, this is terrible. You know, we, we've talked about this for the last year and a half or two years as this has been going on. And this, again, while this is from a week ago, it's still just, uh, for me, I think parents just have to continue to, to bring the noise to these school boards. So I'd like your reactions on that. And I know you have lots of calls uh, up for the other stuff. So we're going to get to those as well. Let's see here. I want to go to folks that have been holding for a while. Let's go to Bill in Jefferson City, Missouri. Uh, Bill, welcome. You're on yeah. with Rich Valdez. How are you, sir? I'm talk, talking to you from the capital city here in Jefferson City, Missouri, capital, uh, and I would like to speak a good word for Rush Limbaugh, who you mentioned has a birthday today. Yes, sir. He's a, he's a, a neighbor. He really is, and he uh, there's a statue of him in the uh, rotunda of the Capitol. And, of course, he came to Jefferson City during his lifetime to have that uh, statue in the Hall of Famous Missourians inserted. So anyway, I, uh, and I enjoyed your Brad Meltzer talk. I like history, and I like Churchill, and uh, we've talked about that several times. So that's really my message for today. Well, I thank you for that, Bill. And, uh, yeah, I, I think it's always important to... To highlight these things, uh, A. L. Rushbo is just um, you know a, a, a staple in American entertainment, American broadcasting, global broadcasting. In fact, I don't think there's a, a radio host that was bigger than him uh, globally when it came to the uh, news talk format. Uh, but yeah, the Brad Meltzer interview I thought was also really interesting. Off the air, I told our producer uh, I could probably you know sit here and you know do dinner, a beer, whatever, coffee uh, for like two and a half, three hours, and and really uh, dig into everything that Brad Meltzer learned on that book. So uh, I also enjoyed it, and thank you, Bill. I appreciate it. We're going to continue. Uh, I'm, I'm very tempted to go to Frank in Evergreen, Montana, but I want to make sure we take time with you, Frank. So stick with us. Um, he, he wants to talk about a, a new type of toilet, <laughs> and uh, that sounds really interesting. Uh, we're going to continue. Let's go to Larry in Moses Lake, Washington. Larry, how are you? I'm well, Rich. Uh, you're doing such a great job. Uh, oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Well, you're exposing all of the uh, duplicity of politics. Uh, there are definitely two different levels of, uh, what's the word I want, uh, of uh, legality when it comes to prosecution of the, mm -hmm. okay, so let me get to the point now. Uh, I, I'm on a tape delay, so I need to go back to your previous guest. Uh, you were talking about the murders in Idaho. And, uh, yeah. And I work with a lady who her daughter attended that school, and she was not directly involved, but in, uh, in the periphery, she sure was. And so we all followed the case and still are very closely. Uh, and then in uh, adjunct of that, I have three daughters. And, and if we, you put yourself in that position of what if it was one of your children, I know there were three girls and one boy that suffered the, uh, this horrendous act and their families. And when you uh, have a 
a guest, and I applaud the fact that you had a guest there that talked about the legality of the issue, but there were still these moments of uh, frivolity and chuckling and sort of the legality of it, you know, who is going to maneuver this case this way or that way and how uh, adept they are at those legal maneuverings. And if you were a parent of one of those child children, uh, it strikes you to the bone that anybody could even have um, that moment of, oh, it's not me. Oh, well, it's a legal case. Oh, well, it's, you know, it's just, I just can't imagine if I was one of those parents and I heard a person laugh about the legality and the maneuvering of that, how I would feel. And I just wanted to offer that to your audience. And you just keep on doing the great job you are, man. I, uh, you and all of the other folks that I listen to, let's bring it to the forefront of what our country is all about, what we need to do to get back to our freedoms and our heritage and our and America. And I just, I'm waving the flag for you, Rich. Keep it up. Thank you. I appreciate it, Larry. And, and I, I get your point, and you mentioned a lot of things there, but, um, I, I agree that you, you can't you can't trivialize the, the murder of these kids uh, the same way you can't really trivialize how we look at the the legality of, of, of this Biden fiasco that we're having where it's kind of like this two tiered justice. And and um, while they're they're not inter you know, they're somewhat interrelated, they're, they're separate issues, but there's common themes where we, we have to take things apart and really look at them soberly for what they are. And um I get it. I get it. And I appreciate it. I think we got to call them like we see them. And uh, occasionally, you know, if I feel like this isn't important or that isn't important, we'll we'll move on past those things. But the things that I think are really important and that you guys think are important, we'll bring to the forefront. Now, if it's a difference of opinion over the uh, the date of a Nazi rally at Madison Square Garden, uh, you know, I don't know if we're going to spend three minutes arguing 1939 versus 1943. But um Feel free to do it. Have at it. That's what the uh, Twitter is for. And boy, am I getting a mouthful on Twitter for that one. <laughs> so anyway, we will uh, continue the conversation. Uh, the telephone number is 833-4-VALDEZ. It's Open Phone America here on America at Night with me, Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. What is the White House trying to hide? Nothing. What is the White House trying to hide? Nothing. Yeah, that's Karine Jean-Pierre saying that nothing is going on. Uh, Let us uh, continue our conversation across the fruited plain. Let's go out west to uh, Arizona. We've got Pat listening on KVOI out in Arizona. Pat, welcome, sir. You're on with Rich Valdez. Hey, Rich, love your new intro, and I love the legacy phone number. And, you know, for Jim, uh, don't forget Jim, And but your show is so cool. I'm using Thanks, your brother. new phone number, which was so excited. It works. <laughs> Remember, people, it's, it's 
I mean, it's 1-833, not 1-800. You get something you do not want uh, when you, I got connected. But here's, oh my, here's my question. Yes, We've sir. got something that uh, Donald Trump was accused of. He was, mm-hmm. And he had his behind a door that had a deadbolt and a handle lock on it. Without a Corvette in it. it. Yeah, with not a Corvette in it. He <laughs> secured it better than Joe Biden did. Now, I'm wondering, you know, you were mentioning that uh, Obama took a bunch of papers. I wonder what kind of papers he took. I mean, he took a lot. And I mean, Bill and Hillary Clinton, maybe in uh, uh, Junior Bush Junior took some, and you know it's their prerogative, you know. And I think it just shows one thing, and it and it and it really works because I cut my cable off because I knew about a year ago that our news media was never going to tell the truth, never be fair to Donald Trump, and never be fair to the American people. Yes, all of you out there listening to me, fair to you because the truth is never going to be told. As long as these people are in the White House, in our government, and you know, uh, it it infuriates me to no end, Rich. It's just, it's incredible that I mean, Walter Cronkite, who was the guy when I was a kid that everybody Mm -hmm. believed, and and man, I bet you he's rolling in his grave because the news media is supposed to say the news, not put their own twist on it, but they're supposed to stay the news and people decide if it's true or if they believe it or not. And mm-hmm. these people are doing and they're doing a very bad job because they're not good liars, because you know what? If you're not awake to know that the media is corrupt in this country, you're asleep. And please wake up. Please. Pat, wake you know, up you, because, you, you made a good point. Yeah. I just want to share with you a thought uh, because <clears throat> You know, when I was a kid, I used to watch 2020, Barbara Walters and Hugh Downs, and I thought, these are news people. These are the most solid news people out there. And and by and large, they, they were solid news people. But they weren't devoid of any bias. I didn't think they were. I always thought, no, they're, they're, they call it, you know, straight down the middle. And as you get older, you learn things. And I'm not picking on them per se. Uh, I, I think as you look at things as you learn more and you say, you know, let's see what kind of bias I could find here. You find so much of it. You know, another great newsman uh, of our day that, you know, let us down during the Bush years, uh, Dan Rather, you know, who put out an entire fake news story on George Bush. And, you know, prior to that, had you asked me, what do you think of Dan Rather? I'd say he's a newsman. You know, the guy's got an impeccable reputation. Um, Terrific, you know, on the level. Uh, then we find out, you know, the whole story was concocted. And it, it, it just goes to show you, in my opinion, that there's so much of that out there. And it's not, you know, exclusive to the Democrats. Uh, but it seems like the Democrats, uh, or I should say the left within the media, ha- have a monopoly on it. And it was harder to realize, and I think there was less influence from a journalist's bias back then because they felt like they were news reporters or anchors and they, they had a job to do while they would keep their opinions to the side until they were big enough to share those opinions without feeling the repercussions of those opinions. However, there was a shift, I think, in training, which is where we see it for everything, right? The, the, the teachers of 
uh, these J schools, the people teaching journalism, uh, teaching them that this is about advocacy, that you have to become an advocate. This is about you being somewhat of a social entrepreneur within the area of journalism to to promote social causes. And I think that is where we, we've gone astray, where everyone's become just a commentator and sharing their opinions. And again, that's fine. I, it's what I do. Uh, but I don't pretend to be a news guy. I've never been a news guy. Uh, you know, I might be a personality in the news doing commentary and opinion commentary, but uh, I'm not a reporter per se. Um, I share the news and I give you my spin on it. And I think if we, more people were honest about doing that, it would be a much more level playing field. Lamentably, that's not what we get, right, Pat? Yeah, I got one more point. Yeah. If they, you say they have, uh, they have, uh, uh, you know, advocacy, they have to, you know, you know, improve uh, our social uh, well-being in our country, in our in our environment, right? Well, if you tell the truth, people will be, oh my gosh, really, the environment's really that bad, or. Oh my goodness! People are really treating human beings this way. I mean, come on, the truth always wins, Rich. It does. And if you put a slant on it, you ruin the truth because nobody will ever believe you. Who is ever going to believe our media is telling the truth anymore? And that's really a crime in itself. You're I right. It's a travesty. I think overall that people can't believe in. Uh, in their media the way they once did when constitutionally, or at least historically, this has been our watchdog. The watchdog of the government is our media. Anyway, thank you, Pat. Excellent call. Uh, We'll be right back with the rest of your calls and wrapping this thing up. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Uh, This is um, a really fascinating topic. I'm told it's about a cooler and a toilet all in one. Frank in Evergreen, Montana. Frank, go right ahead quickly. Oh, well, first off, it's not a cooler. It's it's Kohler, K-O-H-L-E-R. Oh, Kohler, the the brand of toilet. Got it. I thought it was a toilet that had a cooler, and I was like, "What are you doing? Like drinking a six pack while you're on the throne?" I didn't, I didn't get it. Go right ahead. But, but first off, I'm an expert at this. So X meaning former, spurt meaning a drip under pressure. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm putting in a lot of toilets, but anyway, uh, <clears throat> I don't want to brag about my credentials. And, but uh, thirty anyway, seconds. As you walk towards the toilet, it automatically senses you and opens up. And then, wow. you, and then when you walk away, it goes down and flushes. But it also has the ability to, to plug in a phone charger, a Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, ear, ear pods, and everything. So you can sit there for long periods of time. And probably, boy, if you hang, hang out long enough, you have a big booty, you know, for free. <laughs> you know, and just, oh, man. That is funny. So, Frank, it looks like this this toilet that you're uh, recommending to listeners across the Fruited Plain uh, is uh, operating on artificial intelligence, AI. It's like Toilet 2.0. 
and you can charge your your smartphone or your tablet while you're on the throne and it senses you coming and going so it, it'll flush for you. This sounds like it may save many a marriage and if nothing else, avoid a lot of different fights between husbands and wives. Well, but you have to watch out if it's, it's say, uh, it's in the White House and in, in Congress or something and all these people are fighting for this thing. I mean, uh, what if <laughs> some small senator from Montana like Matt Rosendale was, was wearing Nancy Pelosi's uh, high heels. Is, oh, boy. <laughs> I, we're going to have to call the caller who took exception to uh, to one of our guests earlier and fact check whether uh, what you're saying is true or not. All right, Frank, thank you so much. I appreciate your call. And uh, everybody that called, even the ones that are correcting the record, uh, even if I think they got it wrong themselves. Listen to the replay. Check out the podcast, America at Night with Rich Valdez. Hasta la próxima. I am Rich Valdez. Take care. Good night. And God bless. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.